Happy Halloween, everybody. You're listening to Fanboys with Nate and Adam. We're here today to talk to you about Zombieland 2, Double Tap, and all other zombie-related things, especially what we advise people to do in the coming zombie apocalypse. It is, of course, my favorite time of year. This is my favorite holiday. It's all downhill from here for the rest of the year. But this brings our whole month of freaky fandom episodes to a close. I hope you've enjoyed it all this month, and I personally look forward to bringing more to you guys next year. So do us a favor. Go on to iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. Give us a uh, subscribe. Give us a review. Get on our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Tell us what you thought so we can be more obliged to bring you more of this content in the future. All right, so here we go. Nate and I bring to you our quick review of Zombieland 2. Hopefully some of you out there have already seen it as well, or this give you enough excuse to go see it while it's still in theaters. And after that, pack your go bags because we dive into the things to always keep in mind when you're getting yourself ready for the coming zombie apocalypse. Here we go. Happy Halloween. <laughs> All right, so zombies, zombies, zombies. So, <laughs> as you've stated before, Nate is uh, usually going to stress to people when you get onto the conversation or topic about zombies. He hates zombies, but it, zombies. <laughs> I I pose to other people. I think that you really love zombies. It's just a matter of zombie culture, but you love to hate zombies. You love to hate them. Is what I would pose. That's what I would say. I have a deep, fiery passion for their destruction. (laughs) I've always been a fan fan of The Walking Dead, even though, um, unfortunately, it's dropped off of my watch list within the last year or so. Uh, I always thought it was a cool series, but I liked watching uh, for the characters and stuff on that, which has kind of become more mainstream if you watch zombie-related videos for the characters and how they survive the world versus actually showing zombies all the time. But I'm a fan of The Walking Dead. Um, I like uh, other zombie-related movies, but especially one that's just come out recently as an addition to an old favorite classic, Zombieland. We both went and saw Zombieland. What'd you think, Nate? Uh, I really enjoyed this movie, and bottom line up front, I recommend it to our listeners. Uh, What's one of your favorite gimmicks from this uh we're gonna call it series now since it's the sequel we'll probably end up doing a third one i like the rules you like the rules that uh jesse eisenberg's character uh columbus ohio i like the rules that he creates for surviving zombie land i i also was all, uh always appreciative of the cool uh cgi work they did to make that like um animate throughout both movies oh yeah where it drops in to yeah. the, the panel yeah moves around and stuff um, that is nice. I, I would say my my top two favorite gimmicks they do it for the movie are uh, how they call each other by the the area where they came from before Z Day hit. Yes. So you got Columbus, you got Tallahassee, Little Rock, and survey says Wichita, uh, Wichita, Kansas, Wichita. And we were introduced to some new. Well, are we going to do spoilers in zo- for Zombieland 2? We, we, we always do spoilers. We okay. Don't, we don't hold back on spoilers. Uh, if All you've right. come to this podcast and you're expecting to have us hold back on spoilers, you're out of luck. We're here to talk about the movie in length and detail. Um, so, Reno, Nevada. 
I like Nevada. Uh, I'm is, a I, I'm a big fan of Rosario Dawson. I love getting to see her in this one. Uh, is introduced Madison, the blonde. Madison. Madison. Yes. Oh man, I totally forgot about Madison. <laughs> I liked I liked the character a lot. I also thought it was funny too. To me, that sounded like they specifically gave her a name that. A white girl would have well like a white a basic a, name. A white girl like, would have, but it it sounds like a normal name. It could also be an area, so fall in line with how they all call themselves by. But it's just almost just like hey, my actual name's Madison, haha. <laughs> you know, cute blonde and whatever. Yeah, no, no. You could see a basic white girl being named Madison. Yes, exactly. Right? That's the whole point. I uh, gotcha. You also got Berkeley. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, fuck Berkeley. <laughs> And how much of a surprise was it to get to see Luke Wilson as Albuquerque? Uh, well, he was in the trailer. I, I forgot that I'd actually noticed that he was one of the additions to the show in the trailer. But yeah, uh, so that was an actual surprise for me because I didn't remember back to seeing it. Yeah, so I liked Luke Wilson's character Albuquerque uh, in Zombieland 2. I liked the whole, uh, I forget the other guy's Black uh, name. Flagstaff. Flagstaff. I like the whole interaction with Flagstaff, Albuquerque, and Tallahassee and Columbus. Kind of like mirror images of themselves. Yeah, like that um, doppelganger sort of joke that they had going. Um, I'm sad that they did not have an Emma Stone clone. Yeah, yeah, they should have had one. But it's okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Another one of my uh, favorite gimmicks that they did in both of these was when they uh, introduced the zombie – was it the zombie kill of the week or the zombie kill of the month? Yes. Well, they had zombie kill of the week in the first movie. Right. So they had to step that up with zombie kill of the month and of the year. Mm -hmm. Now, can you refresh my memory because I'm having a hard time remembering what those actually were for this. Well, the the one – the zombie kill of the year was when the Italian guy moved the – Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yes, the Leaning on Tower of, of Pisa. Of homers. Oh, it was so good. And yeah, just calling all the dumb ones homers. That was fun for me too. Yeah. Um, I like that they, they labeled the zombies and their terms for zombies were very nice with the, the Homer, the Ninja, and the something else. The Einstein. Einstein. Yeah. Is and that is that the top the, what was yeah, what's the top level the, one? The evolution Right, that came out with the T-800s. Yes, yes, the T-800. Yeah, I liked Which, how they introduced the whole evolution of them because that's a good way for the storyline to continue after the first one. Yeah. You, you got to have them sort of evolve in the culture. If they're if they're going to keep existing out there and you need to keep fighting them, they'll somehow adapt or whatever. That was a really cool aspect to add to the story. Well, Zombieland Universe now has both fast zombies and slow zombies. I was never a fan of fast zombies. With the Homers and the Einsteins. Because the Einsteins and the Ninjas are both fast. Yeah. Right? And then the Homers are are slow and dumb. So I like that you have both, right? So you can face both types of enemies within the same universe. Mm -hmm. And then the evolution of the T-800s, which Albuquerque and Flagstaff called them something else, but I don't remember. It's almost kind of like in the world of... uh, um... Walking Dead, where the main cast refers to them as walkers and everybody else in groups refers to them as something else in your own little clicks and you come up with something different from them. Right. The Walking Dead, they don't all have the same term for these creatures because the word zombie doesn't exist in that universe, right? Rarely now, yeah. But in the Zombieland universe, you can fight all these different types of zombie. It goes cross. And now you have the T-800, so you have more of a – oh, what's the Will Smith movie? 
where he's it's him and his dog. I am I, legend. I am legend. I want so to have like something. the I am legend type zombie, which is the T eight hundred, which is tough but also very intelligent and thinking. So that's now you've got like full spectrum zombies. Whatever you want the characters to be fighting against, you can throw them in there. Although mostly the homers are for a gag reel, mm-hmm. not a threat. So uh, let me get your take on what's your opinion in zombie related <clears throat> storylines and uh, TV and movies about what's your take on zombies actually being able to run? Because I've read stuff before where there's a lot of thought around the idea that if zombies exist, they're most likely, I think, going to be slow because their whole body's decaying. They wouldn't have the muscle mass to be able to actually sprint towards people. Uh, and your idea of what you pose to be the realistic view of, you know, you've got your plan, as I know you do, uh, your choice of weapon, your ideal location and where you would fight. What kind of zombie speed do you foresee? What do you think? Is, what, what do you prefer? If if I was in a zombie apocalypse, I want there to be the slowest zombies possible, obviously, because they're much easier to deal with. Do you think that's much more realistic, too? It depends on the source of the zombie. Yeah. Most zombie movies nowadays attribute zombies to a virus of some kind, right? So the virus zombies aren't really decaying. They're, they're living humans whose brains have been overridden by the disease, right? Fast zombies make sense because they still have full faculty and function. They're okay. not a de- they're not a decaying corpse. Now, if it's some sort of ne- um, zombie animated dead, brought back to life by necro- ne- necrotic powers, necrotic powers, pardon me, <laughs> then that's different. And then the shambling, slow zombie makes more sense. So it depends. I mean, you go back to the first zombie movie, and it's not even about uh, corpses coming back to life at all. If we're going to go like deep cuts, right? But it is about necrotic power animating human life. What about yourself? I mean, the more that I expose myself to different um, variations of the zombie-related theory of uh, Mm Z-Day, I I get thrown off when I see something like, uh, was the movie actually called Z-Day with Brad Pitt? It's called um, or Z World or something. World War Z. World War Z, uh, where they 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 don't just run, they sprint, and they are hordes and waves up walls of stuff. That's yeah. scary because it's almost it's not you just have to worry about getting infected, but it's it's not like a freaking Michael Myers just you know like I'll I'll, I'll get to you eventually when I when I yes. feel like it stalking right. you in the dark. It's like I am running full sprint, and if I get you, you're fucking dead. So that's terrifying, but I just don't usually see it in the realm of what I consider to be zombies. Normally, when I think zombies, it leans more towards the uh, the raising of the dead. Um, but in general, it is attributed in my mind to being bit by something. So it's about spreading a virus. Um, so maybe something in between. Because uh, how much have you actually watched Walking Dead before? I've seen three episodes. Okay. Back when uh, Negan was the main season character, so it was only a season or two ago, and I really got into wanting to uh, re-binge going back to the beginning of the series, uh, mm-hmm. when I did that in the first few episodes, I noticed that 
they ran in the beginning parts of the series, which I didn't remember. I thought that was curious. But as the series progresses, they get slower. And I thought that was actually that made more sense because as Hmm. the virus gets older and their bodies decay more, they can't run. Mm -hmm. That made more sense to me. I see that being more realistic in terms of virus spreading mixed with um, if, if people were to rise from the dead. I agree with you. I think for a animated corpse, the slow zombie makes sense. And the zombie in modern popular culture with Dawn of the Dead had slow zombies, and that kind of set the tone. And I have I have no problem with slow zombie movies. They they give the protagonist that advantage. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have an everyman protagonist, then the slow zombies make more sense. Because you don't have to be some sort of elite fighter or a crazy person with a zombie plan to survive in a slow zombie scenario, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if it's fast zombies and you're just some average schmuck filling his gas tank at the at the quick trip, you're probably not going to make it because <laughs> you're just not prepared, right, for that for that rush attack. Unless you want to follow some of Columbus's rules like, you know, uh, cardio and whatnot. Yeah, but Columbus also had the advantage of having no friends. That's true. He had no one he was close to. <laughs> right? That, that really helped him. Everyone that survived in that core group of zombie land, right? Tallahassee was alone in the world. Columbus was alone in the world. Uh, Little Rock and... Wichita only had each Wichita. other. Right, exactly. They weren't close to anyone. That's those are the people who lived, right? Mm-hmm. The loners. Yeah. All right. So speaking of zombie plans, zombie uh-huh. world plans, I recall yeah. a day back, uh, I, I want to say college era, maybe late high school, where we got on the topic of zombies. And I first learned yeah. the fact that you took it very seriously. <laughs> and that might have been around the time where there was like a book out there where and I think you and I had talked about this before. Someone had written where it's like actually contains uh, things to consider, you know, like what to do in zombie, uh, the world of uh, the zombie apocalypse and what to, uh, where to put yourself location wise, what weapons to have on hand. So when it comes to actually treating this like a potential apocalyptic situation. What type of things do you keep at hand all times? What are your weapons of choice? What do you see yourself? Uh, where do you see yourself um, putting up camp? And what are some of the rules, if any, that you have, like Columbus, where you would uh, use those in terms of trying to survive? Well, first of all, I don't take zombie prep as seriously now as I did in college, uh, mostly because I have I have different hobbies. <laughs> I want to tap and, into that from back then. And though. zombie prep is a hobby. <laughs> but there is a zombie preparedness movement that you can tap into, and it, it exists in most major cities, in some medium-sized and small cities. And the idea is that zombie preparedness is a analog and a metaphor for general emergency preparedness. Mm-hmm. So... If you're prepared for the zombie apocalypse and you're prepared for anything that's below that. So tornadoes, hurricanes, natural disasters of all kinds, um, civil unrest, electromagnetic pulses, whatever. And so there's there's groups that are into preparedness as a metaphor for general preparedness. Like the kind of people that have – there's even a series on it – having bunkers made for themselves. Yeah, Yeah. preppers of different kinds – 
use the metaphor of zombies to discuss it, a real thing, because zombies are fun and fictional and actual human tragedy is less lighthearted. That said, I think a little bit of preparedness is good. I think having a go bag is perfectly reasonable for a person to have as part of basic emergency preparedness. So having a medical kit in your residence is just good common sense. I mean, most of us have Mm band-aids, but having a couple of medical items that help with more extreme wounds are really nice to have. You know, dressings for major cuts or things of that nature, anesthetics, uh, things to deal with uh, venomous creatures like spiders and snakes, uh, things to deal with bees. I mean, all of these can go into a home med kit and helps not just you and then whoever lives with you, but whoever's visiting you as well if something should come up. <clears throat> so those sorts of things, I think, are worthwhile for people to think about. So my, I don't have a go bag put together right now. I was about, I thought you would have, I was about to ask. But when I did, the first thing I thought about was medical. Uh, The next thing you think about on a go bag is fresh water. So I have a life straw for my go bag. Is that like a camel pack? No. So it's a small device and you can pick it up at any outdoor store. It's essentially smaller than a glass of water Mm -hmm. and it's a straw device or sometimes they come with a little pump and it has a filtration system inside oh cool that can filter up to a thousand gallons of water from a random source into clean fresh drinking water so you could get it from like a river or a lake or something exactly nice yep so that you can just take this and you can just stick it into a stream and suck on it and you have potable water i've never heard of that that is very cool pump a little pump and you have potable water and a thousand gallons of water is a lot even for four people Mm -hmm. and that's a nice tool to have if there's a serious disaster in your area because water is one of the things that's going to get really effed up fast and in a hurry and having access to clean water is so important Mm -hmm. the third thing to think about is rations you can buy military rations online. Uh, they're, they have really long storage life. They have high calories, moderate nutritional content, and they're gross. <laughs> <laughs> but they're just meant to keep you up. I have eaten enough military rations in my life, and I'm probably going to have to eat more before it's all over. <laughs> and uh, I, I personally don't like eating them if I can help it. But there's plenty of people who haven't been forced to eat them mm-hmm. that if they have, you know, it's an easy, easy thing to just grab 10 or however many and and put them in your residence. What so are some of the have, what are some of the basic things that uh, the that consists of food wise? If you're if you're putting something together or you ask me what's in a military ration? Yeah, or yeah, what, or yeah the military ration. Oh, man. So a military ration always has an entree of some kind, um, usually something like uh, a chili or a soup or some sort of protein. Uh, they make vegetarian versions that are pasta, and then you're going to have a dessert of some kind inside. Then you're going to have a beverage powder to mix with water to make water more uh, palatable. Yeah. Usually there's coffee or cocoa. Oh, cool. And then there's always a side dish. 
uh, crackers and peanut butter or jam and bread or something along those lines. There's about 1,500 calories, I think, in a military ration. If I'm, if I'm wrong, listeners, please correct me. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because I used to remember the acronym for that. It's something like MRE, Meals Ready to Eat. That's correct. I got it? Yeah. That's it. Nice. You got it. So having a couple MREs is the easiest thing to do, but not the most palatable, right? And mm-hmm. if you want to really dig into having some some rations built that could sustain you, it's an easy Google search to put together like really high nutritional value, high calorie stuff that has a long shelf life because the key is to have the long shelf life. You don't want to be switching this out every three weeks or every six months even. You want it to just sit on a shelf and be good five years from now, 10 years from now. Correct. Now, if you're in an apocalyptic situation, uh, and for argument's sake, a, a zombie apocalypse situation, having those handy will get you by, uh, depending on how many you've got, because they have a, a good shelf life. But you could even spread those even thinner if uh, you had, if you considered the other option, which is actually hunting. Sort of things to consider for hunting for your food. Well, in yes. You have to have enough space to hunt, and if it's an apocalyptic scenario, leaving your residence becomes dangerous. increasingly dangerous, yeah. right? If, if you think that you're just going to exit out of a normal urban or suburban setting armed with a rifle and shoot a squirrel, you're, you're facing other people who have the same plan, mm-hmm. right? And getting out into wilderness enough to find large enough game to survive on means that everybody else is doing the same thing. And with resource scarcity and people trying to save their families, I think the propensity for human violence is very high. And your best bet is to avoid other people to avoid the human violence. Mm -hmm. Even if you're John Wayne in 1972 and you're the fastest shot in your county how many times in a row are you going to win that firefight? And do you even want to get into a scenario where you have to kill another person? Because it could also be about numbers as well. One versus sure. one, one versus five. Right? So that's really tough. You're you're out trying to hunt a rabbit or whatever, and you come across a man and a woman, and they're both armed, and they're trying to go after the same rabbit. You're probably okay because a rabbit's not worth a firefight, but <laughs> – you might get one, but there's two of them, right? Mm-hmm. What are the odds that you're going to nail both before one of them gets you? Yep. And if you kill one and let the other live, well, now they have a, a grudge. And there's no in, – in an apocalyptic scenario, there's no rule of law, mm-hmm. right? This is without the rule of law, so there's no it, – it's all very dicey. To me, that's the scariest thing of dealing with is like the systems break down. There's no rule. Everybody's out on out for themselves. Yes. Um, but that that brought me to my next uh, question of the survival survival of an apocalyptic situation, most importantly, zombie situation. Um, firearms. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of weaponry do you consider in a specific situation such as this? I think you want a rifle length weapon system. I think that a shotgun provides you the most versatility between birdshot, buckshot, and slugs. So you have a lot of options for taking both small game 
large game, and self-defense. A shotgun slug will not go through a lot of barriers, and it has very limited range. But I think the fantasy that you're going to have long-range engagements in a without-rule-of-law scenario is is a fantasy. It's not likely. So the, the range of a shotgun slug, which is, let's say, between 200 feet and 200 yards, is plenty of range to for what you need it to do. Mm-hmm. So a 12-gauge shotgun gives you a lot of versatility, and it's also very easy to find ammunition for. Because okay. <clears throat> you can go to any Walmart and find shotgun loads. Mostly practice rounds or birdshot, but that still gives you a way to harvest game and offer some level of self-defense. Mm-hmm. So that's my number one. After that, the, the problem with shotguns is that the ammunition is very heavy. So if you're traveling on foot, your ammunition is very limited. I mean, it's easy to say that you can have a 100-pound pack, 20 pounds of ammo, and a, tw- and a 10-pound gun when you're not walking for 30 miles. <laughs> that, that's a shame. I hadn't thought about that, considering all the amounts of games we played for Resident Evil, <laughs> collecting all that ammo. <laughs> yeah. You don't think about the weight when you're playing first-person shooters, right? You don't right. think about how much a thousand rounds weighs <laughs> when you're playing first-person shooters. <laughs> yeah, that shit is heavy and it adds up. <laughs> So the the drawback to the versatility of the shotgun is the weight of the ammunition. So having a small caliber rifle or carbine lets you you bring a larger magazine capacity, larger rate of fire, and light ammunition that you can carry in in mass. So 9mm carbines are great because you can have a carbine, a rifle, length weapon and a sidearm using the same ammo so you only have to worry about one ammo nice that's nice that's how they solve the problem in the old west because logistics were tough and it makes sense in that in an apocalyptic scenario as well uh 22s uh 22 caliber rifles are great 22 calibers the 22 caliber bullet is extremely light you can carry thousands of rounds for just a little the weight of larger cartridges it's Powerful enough to take small game. If you're close and you're a really good shot, you could take a deer or use it in self-defense. It's not going to drop a man very quickly. It's not going to drop that deer very quickly. But if you got a thousand rounds to blow through. Well, you don't want to blow through at all. But, not all of it, but, but if you've got that kind to use. But you can carry it and you can a thousand rounds lets you keep hunting game for a long time. Weeks, months on end before you have to resupply. That's not to be discounted. The next size up would be an AR or a 5.56 caliber. You have more power. You can take larger game easier. You can use self-defense easier. Outside of that, out into these higher calibers, like 7.62, 6.5 Creedmoor, uh, 6.8, the, the bullets are very effective. And you can take large game and defend yourself against humans very, very well. But how much ammo are you really going to care, be able to carry <clears throat> and how far are your engagement's really going to be? Now, if you're hunting in the American West and there's no tree cover and you're in open plains, you might need that to hunt successfully. <clears throat> but the idea that you can have like a lone sniper, quote unquote, on a rooftop somewhere defending his home against zombies and humans alike 
is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> and these guys that have these fantasies about how badass they are uh, need to get their heads out of their asses. <laughs> Wake up calls. I own an AR. I own a 22. Um, and I own a 12 gauge. And I own some other things too, but those aren't important. <laughs> I got two last questions. Yeah. Uh, considering the same scenario, what is your advice for people for location? It depends on who you are. If you grew up in the backwoods and you know how to tie a snare, then your ability to survive in the backwoods is much higher than someone who didn't. If you grew up in Compton and you've never done an overnight in the woods, I don't recommend going to the woods. <laughs> Right. That's not realistic. So you're where you should go is dependent on your skills, on your skill set. There's going to be days or weeks of utter, utter chaos on an apocalypse. We saw it during the Watts riots in California. We saw it during Katrina in 2005. Um, there were the, the days immediately after Katrina, there were sections of New Orleans that were without the rule of law. But after that, Society starts to reassert itself one way or the other. There's mm -hmm. going to be these communities of people. There's going to be safe havens of, of people who want to live in a peaceful way, and they'll figure it out somehow, right? So if you have a skill set that's valuable to that community, you're better off than the best marksman. If you are a nurse or a medical professional, that gives you marketable value in, a, in an apocalypse, right? If you're a blacksmith, or a leather worker or a carpenter, you have a skill that is useful. Yeah, I've, th I've thought about this a lot uh, recently on no uncertain terms, but I think that just means uh, sorry for those uh, Instagram influencers out there. <laughs> I don't know if you'd make it. <laughs> well, you can be an Insta Instagram influencer and still learn how to weld. That's true. And I haven't taken the time to do this myself, but there's there's value in people just getting that one post post apocalyptic skill in their toolkit. Mine's going to be toolkit. mine's going to be carpentry. Yeah, you told me that you were thinking about looking into that. Mm -hmm. Starting to look at uh, some digital programs and stuff to uh, um, start studying. I got a new computer, which I still have to get. Oh, nice. I got to get it configured for uh, doing the podcast stuff because oddly enough, I did the last thing that I didn't consider is having a camera on it. But I still have my laptop for for now. Um, but, uh, yeah, doing some higher end, uh, uh, mock-ups and stuff for 3d designing. So yeah, I, I want to get into that. Uh, and I considered that to be my like apocalyptic skill. It'd be a good thing to know, to be able to help house people when stuff comes crashing down. Absolutely. You can always take a class. There's so much on YouTube now or other sorts of ways to learn a skill set and learning a post-apocalyptic skill is so valuable. Auto mechanic is going to be useful. Uh, HVAC mechanics, which is heating and air conditioning. Um, the generators aren't going to last forever, but for the years that they do last, we're going to need people that, that know how to make that run. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody that can't benefit from that. You don't have to be a surgical nurse to offer value to that community, but you're going to want to eventually find a community of some kind. Yeah, so you don't recommend being a loner for long. There's very few people that can just be utterly alone for years on end and be psychologically okay. And there's definitely people who can get by with very little, but they're, they're still going to want some contact 
But even if you're in like the Appalachian Mountains, there's unspoken rules with all your closest neighbors to just leave each other the fuck alone. <laughs> you're still coming together, you know, once a year to trade whatever mm-hmm. possum pelts or whatever they trade. <laughs> possum pelts. <laughs> so for for one final question, then this should be fun for the listeners. I pose your chances of being in an apocalyptic situation as very good for being able to survive long term. I have to ask you for <laughs> for the fun of the listener's sake, what do you pose my chances at for surviving an apocalyptic situation? I think you're fucked. <laughs> I thought you were taking a minute to be able to sugarcoat it for me. (laughs) You have a lot of people that you care a lot about. True. And if you were, if there were a seriously apocalyptic scenario, you would want to check on them all. And if communications are down, I think you would actually go visit them. And if they were zombies, you would get bit. Because you'd be in your apartment, all stocked up, like good for three weeks. Food, bathtub full of water, all that shit. And they'd be like, nope, I haven't heard from so-and-so. We should go We should go find out how they are. <laughs> It'll be fine, Michelle. It'll be fine. And then that's it. You leave the door and, and you get nailed. Honestly, and I've thought about this, I think what my biggest downfall would be in that type of situation, let's say, for example, for argument's sake, that I've got Michelle with me. I don't have to go search for her. Right. So I've got that. Yeah. I've thought about having to, whatever I've got on hand to be able to defend against people that are um, out for stealing stuff from other people for materials, for food for um, weaponry or whatever. I think my downfall would be trying to be protect others that that are getting taken advantage of. Yeah. You, you're not in a position at that moment to do that. Right. You don't want to fire guns all the time because the noise could attract the zombies depending on what kind of zombie it is. It definitely attracts other people. Crossbows and bows are great. You can buy very high-quality machetes online for very reasonable prices. But your best friend is a crowbar mm-hmm. or a pry bar because you want that tool to be able to get through doorways and windows and things like that. Multi-purpose. You can bash somebody over the head with it. Right. Having a machete, which is also a multi-tool because you can prepare a kindling, you can prepare different things with it, you can get through brush, small obstacles, also a weapon and a pry bar. Those are your best friends. And you could have both for a hundred dollars or less. You know, you could get a quality machete for 30 bucks and a high quality machete for 50. And you could get a pry bar for $25 at the hardware store. So those things have more uses than just a baseball bat, even though they're harder to wield. But even someone who's anti-firearms or whose significant other doesn't want one in the house can get those sorts of things and really up not only your chances of survival, but your usefulness to others, right? If they're trapped in a car and you have a pry bar with you, well, suddenly you're not useless. Now, when it, when it comes to talking about the usefulness of uh, weaponry and ammunition and times like that, I might have to have you 
try and do a convincing conversation with Michelle since you're military. <laughs> we'll absolutely talk to Michelle about her Second Amendment duty, which we won't get into right now right. on the podcast. Right. All right. Do you have any closing thoughts for uh, our zombie related episode? Uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Avoid the zombies. Get them before they get you. And consider getting a three-day bag. They're useful to have in a wide variety of scenarios, especially if you're in Northern California and you're about to get your power cut again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, stay safe out there, everybody in California. Bye, guys. Yeah, and don't forget to double tap.